Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Stephen B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie uh, Butler from the great state of North Carolina with my co-host Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, Steve Cordell from the state of Illinois, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey, and Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida. We're grateful that you are tuning into our radio broadcast this evening. This radio show is brought to you by loving and faithful members of the Churches of Christ. We ask you to take out your Bibles and study along with us. We have a very exciting show planned for your spiritual enlightenment and your edification. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, you can either give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508 or go to the Blog Talk Radio website and see the live show and listen to the live show. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts on this broadcast, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, or you can call Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ, and if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and study along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we're prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we praise you will be my co-host, Glenn McMillian, on the show this evening as he breaks unto our listeners the bread of life. And also my co-host, Courtney Carruthers, as he answers the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We pray that you will bless them and their families that support their efforts, that they may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will bless our listeners who are tuning in via blog talk radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well, that their hearts may be pricked as they consider their eternal stance before you and their soul salvation. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do 
to be saved. Father, thank you so much for sending the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak and we often fall short of thy will. Father, we pray that you will continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And that we have been faithful until death. Father, we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the broadcast. Our speakers this evening is uh, my co-host, Glenn McMillian. He serves with the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, I have a question from my shout-out platform on social media. And my co-host, uh, Courtney Carruthers, he serves as the evangelist for the Colonial Village Church of Christ there in Chicago, Illinois. He will be answering our question to close out the show. So open up your Bibles and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, the next voice should be that of my co-host, Glenn McMillian. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my co-host, Glenn McMillian, and his subject are Christians bound by the Ten Commandments. Thank you, Stevie. Good evening, everybody, and welcome once again to the Gospel Light Radio Show. It's been a while since I've had the opportunity to be on, and I am thankful for every opportunity I get to preach the gospel of Christ. Tonight, as we have heard, we are discussing the topic of our Christians bound by the Ten Commandments. Now, this is an important topic because this is a common thing that comes up when you talk to to people who are, uh, let's say, less committed than they should be to um, the 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 principles of the doc, the doctrine of Christ. They are uh, they would consider themselves to be Christians, but they don't really get very deep into it. And so one of the things that they often say is, you know, I, I believe in Jesus I and I try to follow the Ten Commandments, and that's basically how I, I know I'm going to heaven or I'm, I'm trying to get to heaven. Um, the problem with that statement, obviously, is that um, is the, is, that, that brings up the question of whether the Ten Commandments is something that is actually relevant to Christians. Um, the, the problem with saying that I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, and I follow the Ten Commandments, is that you're going to have people who are uh, sticklers on this, uh, namely the, the, those who are uh, Seventh-day Adventists or other denominations that um, hold the Ten Commandments up a little higher than they probably should, uh, who will say that, well, if you're going to be a good Christian and you are going to follow the Ten Commandments, you have to pay attention to the Fourth Commandment, which says that you should honor the Sabbath, and you know, the Sabbath is Saturday, and you're worshiping on Sunday. So how do you reconcile those two things? And if you are not schooled, um, then you're going to not give the correct answer to that question, and you're going to give them a simple and so this this uh, topic of the importance and the placement of the Ten Commandments in the lives of Christians has to be addressed. So, what are the Ten Commandments? Uh, you know, we, I think everybody is familiar with the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, I, and I'm not going to list them here, but the Ten Commandments are more than just those ten rules that were given to the Jews. The Ten Commandments, as the Bible describes them, are the primary part of the covenant that God made with the children of Israel. In fact, the Bible repeatedly refers to the Ten Commandments as the covenant itself. So the first part, place we see this is in Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. And it says that, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. He wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So the covenant is being identified as the Ten Commandments. This is repeated again in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 13. It says, so he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And again, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 two, three, through 3, this is the preamble to the second uh, recording of the Ten Commandments. And it reads that Moses summoned all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and ordinances which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb, the Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, all of those who are alive here today. So again, this is the third time we're saying that the Ten Commandments are being identified as the covenant that God made with Israel. So why is this important? Um, number one, this covenant was made with Israel. As he said in the preamble to the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5, 
He did not make this covenant with the fathers, the people before uh, the time of Moses. It was only for those who were there at Horeb. Those are the, the children of Israel and by extension their descendants. The very words of the Ten Commandments tell us that this covenant was being made with Israel only. God never brought your in, me or my ancestors out of Israel. I don't, I don't know who you are who's listening, but I have no genetic connection to the children of Israel. In Exodus 20, verse 2, says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who brought you out of the house of slavery. That's not referring to me because I am not part of that group. The Lord didn't promise me or, or anybody who I am genetically related to the land of Canaan. Exodus 20, verse 12, I know your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land that the Lord your God gives you. Again, this is a very specific promise related to the land of Canaan. doesn't apply to me. doesn't apply to anybody who is not part of fleshly Israel. The commandment is a sign between God and fleshly Israel. There's nothing requiring non-Jews to keep it. You'll see throughout the Bible or throughout the Old Testament, God constantly goes after these other pagan nations for the things that they did that were abominations to them. He points out their cruelty. He points out their their mistreatment of the poor, but he never once talks to those uh, those pagan nations about not honoring the Sabbath. It was not a concern for them because the Sabbath is not something that they were expected to follow. That was a, a covenant and a sign between God and Israel only. It had nothing to do with the people outside of Israel. And again, this is seen in the text of the Ten Commandments themselves. It says that these laws apply to the strangers within your gates. So that means people who were in Israel were expected to obey this commandment because that was the culture of the people that were in Israel. But the people outside, strangers outside the gates, there's no binding on them. There's nothing that says, and strangers outside the gates also have to do this. So, so we can clearly see from the, the, this text up, up here that this covenant was made with Israel and, and only Israel. But there's another reason why it's important that we understand that the, that the uh, Ten Commandments is identified as the covenant. That when, when he talks about the covenant, he is talking about specifically about the Ten Commandments. And that's because God promised to give them a new covenant. We go to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 33. And the Bible reads, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made to their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, even though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, that I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is important because if the, the old covenant, which is the Ten Commandments, was in effect when the prophet Jeremiah wrote this passage, God says to him there's going to be a new covenant. And the Hebrew writer points out that if God is saying that there's going to be a new covenant, then this old, old covenant was in place. This new covenant, by its very nature, has to replace, supplant, get rid of that old covenant. Hebrews chapter 8 the Hebrew writer quotes this, the passage that we just read, and then he says in verse 7, if the first was faultless, there would have been no place for a second. But because the old covenant could not save us, 
We need a new one. Notice verse 13. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. So the Bible clearly calls the covenant that God made with Israel, the Ten Commandments. And, he, and it clearly says in Hebrews that that old covenant, that those Ten Commandments are obsolete. We are now under a, a new covenant with better promises, as it says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. So, the New Testament is clear that this old law has been replaced by a new and better covenant. Notice Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. See, Ephesians chapter 1 talks about the mystery, the mystery that this new covenant that God said he was going to make with the house of Israel and Judah was not limited to just Israel and Judah. In Ephesians chapter 2, he tells us, that he is going to make both one, which what he means by both is both the Jews and Gentiles. He's bringing those two groups together in this new covenant by abolishing the enmity, that enmity being the old covenant, the original covenant that separated Jews from Gentiles. Again, remember that old covenant only applied to Jews. This new covenant has to replace that old one to, to make room for Gentiles like us like me, to be part of his people. So he has made, he has abolished in his flesh the enemy, that, that law of commandments, that he might re- reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Paul calls the law, the covenant, the old, the old covenant, the Ten Commandments, the enmity, and declares that his, it has been abolished and put to death by the death of Christ. He repeats this again in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, saying that the, the law was nailed to the cross. Therefore, it no longer applies to us. So, it is often argued by Sabbatarians, people who want to retain the, the Old Covenant, and, and specifically the Ten Commandments, that the Ten Commandments are not included when Paul is talking about the law, that the law only only applies to uh, the ceremonial aspects, as they say, of the Old Testament and not the Ten Commandments themselves. But we can see through Paul's writing and how he talks about it that the Ten Commandments are definitely included when he mentions the law. If we go to Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, we see here Paul talking about the relationship that Jews had to the law as a marriage. And just like a marriage, if this one spouse dies, the other spouse is now free to be remarried to another. That's the same, same relationship that the Jews had to the law. But when Christ came, the that one spouse, the, 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 those of us, or those Jews who were under the, that law, died to that law in order that they might be bound to Christ. And so when Paul points out that the, the law is not evil, that there is nothing bad per se about the law except for that it was limited in its scope. It wasn't evil, but it, it just didn't have what was necessary in order to save all of us. It couldn't really save the Jews because because it was only a prescriptive of punishment for their sin. And it couldn't save the Gentiles at all because it had no provision for them at all. So it needed to go. But as an example of this, 
Paul points to the tenth commandment. In verse seven, he says, "What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except for the law. I would not have known covetousness unless the law says, 'Thou shalt not covet.' Thou shalt not covet. We know where that comes from. That is part of the Ten Commandments. So when Paul is talking about the law, the law that was that we have been that we have died to, that we have been separated from. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. Otherwise, he would have picked something ceremonial here. He would not have picked one of the Ten Commandments as his example. So it's clear when Paul says the law, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. And so when Christ came and Christ died on the cross, we were severed, uh, those those who were, Uh, bound by the law, the the Jews at that time, were severed from that relationship, that they might be bound to a relationship with Christ. So what are the implications of the things that we're talking about here? So when I I point out these passages to somebody who is a Seventh-day Adventist or a, a somebody who's tied to the Ten Commandments law, the first thing that they usually ask me, so are you saying that now it's okay for Christians to murder and, and steal because you know, we're no longer following the Ten Commandments? And obviously that is absurd. That is not at all what we're saying. What we're saying is that, number one, the Ten Commandments is not the only place where those things appear in the Bible as being uh, against the will of God. So even if we took out the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't get rid of all the prohibitions against those activities. And number two, we have to go back to what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. We were separated from the law so that we might be bound to another. I think this is easy for us to understand uh, in the context of traveling. If we travel from one state to another or one country to another, we understand that there are certain laws that apply to us in one state that do not apply to us when we go to the other. For example, if I go to, if I leave the United States and go to Canada, I I am no longer bound by the laws of the United States. Does that mean that I'm in Canada, I can murder and, and do whatever I want to? Absolutely not, because once I enter the territory of Canada, I am bound by a new set of laws, the laws of Canada. And the laws of Canada also have provisions against those things. So just like that, we we understand that just because we have been separated from one law, we we are now bound by another law, and that is the law of Christ. So what is this law of Christ is usually the next thing that they ask us. But how do we, where do we find this law of Christ that you're talking about? And the answer is you find it throughout the New Testament. The whole point of the New Testament is to establish this law of Christ. If we go to the the first place we really see this is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 30, where Jesus is explicitly showing us this separation, that that this uh, transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant is about to happen. So if you you look at that, he says, he starts with the Sixth and Seventh Commandments, but this can be applied to all of them, really. He says, you know, thou hast heard it said that thou shalt not murder, but I say to you, that one who even hates his brother is guilty according to the new law, the law of Christ. Listen to the language that that Jesus is using there. You have heard it said. Where have you heard this? Thou shalt not move. Where where did you hear that? Where, where Where does that come from? We know where that comes from. It comes from the Ten Commandments. But I say, but is a statement of contrast, which means you have one standard, 
I'm giving you another statement. There's a contrast between these two things. This is something different. I say, I means there's a new authority. Where does the other one come from? The other one came from God. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a different thing. Now, if Jesus is not God, then this is a very blasphemous statement. But because we know that Jesus is God, this is this is one of one of the passages that you can use if somebody says that Jesus never claims to be God in the Gospels. This is where he claims to be God. He is giving us. He takes the standard that God says. I I am going to tell you something different by my own authority. And if Jesus is not God at the same level or greater than God, then this is an extremely blasphemous statement in this sense. But that's an aside from this discussion. Um, but So Jesus says, but, statement of contrast, I, new authority, say, new law. I say in my life that you're going to not just don't murder, don't even hate your brother. That's a different standard. That's a new law that, that, that was not part of the old, old covenant. So the law of Christ includes do not murder, but goes beyond it. Do not even hate your brother. It does the same thing for uh, the seventh one. Don't commit adultery. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, he who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery already. Again, but, statement of contrast, I, new authority, say, new law. I am replacing that old standard with a new one by my own authority. So the, when we talk about the law of Christ, we're talking about all of the things that, that Christ taught us that are recorded in the New Testament by either a direct uh, statement from him was given to his apostles. All of those things together encompass the, the law of Christ. So, again, just like the old law wasn't just those things now, it, it really encompasses everything that was in the Pentateuch, the, 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 the Torah. When, when Paul talks about the law, he means all of that. When, when, when uh, the, the gospel writers talk about the covenant and, and the law, they mean all of that. They don't mean they don't make this, this this separation between the Ten Commandments and the rest of the Torah. They mean all of it. But specifically in these applications, when we talk about it, talk about the covenant, they are making sure to specifically emphasize the Ten Commandments because, again, the natural tendency of some people is to try to separate those and say that they're somehow different. They're all together. So when we have moved on, when we have been separated from that old law, from that old standard, none of that applies to us. The only thing that applies to us as Christians is the law of Christ. And that is everything that Christ has given us either directly or through his apostles. So again, we should we should talk about each of those things that are in the Ten Commandments, each of those ten statements, those, those ten rules. All of those are basically repeated. Again, they're not uh, repeated in the same way, but every in concept, all of those things are included in the Law of Christ. You can pick any one of them. We already talked about the Sixth and Seventh Commandments. You can go through all the other commandments and, and, and say we can tie this to a New Testament verse that is part of the law of Christ that effectively says the same thing or in most cases sets a standard even above what the Ten Commandments said. There is one exception to that, and that, of course, is the fourth commandment, the Sabbath. And, and we'll, we should talk about that specifically since that is the, uh, the group that is going to make the, the biggest uh, issue of this teaching. The fourth commandment concerning the Sabbath is never repeated in the New Testament. 
So some Christians try to claim that the first day of the week is the Sabbath, that there was a change in the definition of Sabbath to the first day of the week. Others, again, as we've talked about, maintain that we sh that Christians should continue to worship on and observe the Sabbath. Neither of that, neither of those positions is supported by Scripture. Nothing in the law changed. There was no change in the text of the Old Testament Torah. The entire Old Testament system was abolished, binding us to the law of Christ. There's no scripture hinting at or supporting a change. If you try to say that the law was changed, that's where the seventh, seventh day Adventists, the Sabbatarians, would, would pounce on you and say that your teachings are adoption. Because you, there's no way for you to support that statement. What you need to say is that the, the whole Old Testament system was abolished. And you can go back to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, to show that the, the law was abolished. The Sabbath was and still is the seventh day of the week. And so anytime you try to teach that the Sabbath was changed, that is going to be false. But again, that does not mean Christians have any obligation to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not a moral law intended for, for all mankind. Again, we talked about how the Gentiles were never called out by God in, say, in saying that they disrespected the Sabbath. The Jews were, all, were called out by God by not respecting the Sabbath, and they were called out many times. But Gentiles were never called out for, for disrespecting the Sabbath because they were not under the Sabbath. The Sabbath didn't have any application to them. It only applied to the Jews. But again, let's ignore the fact that as Gentiles, we have no obligation to the Sabbath, and that you know, those, those Gentiles in the past had no obligation to fulfill. Let's pretend, just for the sake of argument, that at some point in time we were all under the Sabbath command. Does that mean it still applies now? So we can show, based on the New Testament, that we have been freed from this law. Again, Go back to Romans chapter 7, go through Galatians, where Paul says that the law was a schoolmaster that was assigned the task of bringing us to Christ. Once we were brought to Christ, we have no more need of that schoolmaster. That schoolmaster no longer has any authority in our education because we have been brought up. We have been brought to the place where, he needed to bring it, where the law needs to bring us. And its its job was done. Now we now we are under Christ. So, as Christians, if we are going through the law of Christ, we're going through the New Testament. What we will see is that there is no activity that takes place on the Sabbath that applies to Christians. In fact, every significant event in, in scripture that is significant to Christianity specifically happens on the first day of the week. So Christ died and he rose again on the first day of the week. Matthew chapter 28 verses 1, 1 through 10. The Holy Spirit was revealed to the world, to the apostles and, and, and by extension to the world on the first day of the week. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Pentecost is the 50th day, which is always the day after the seventh Sabbath, which is always the first day of the week. The first gospel sermon was preached on the first day of the week. Acts, again, Acts chapter 2. On that day of Pentecost, Peter and the rest of the apostles got up and preached the first gospel sermon on the first day of the week. The first members of the Church of Christ were baptized into the church on the first day of the week. Again, Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 37. He that received the word and heard it gladly was, was baptized and, and therefore was added to the Church of Christ on the first day of the week. So 
the only example that we have in Scripture of a group of exclusively Christians coming together for the purpose of worship is, again, on the first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7. We don't have any uh, example of Christians coming together on any other day than the first day of the week. So the idea of worshiping on the Sabbath fails every test of doctrinal merit from a New Testament perspective. There is no command in the New Testament to keep the Sabbath. So if there, if if the act of worshiping on the Sabbath was some kind of moral implication that that was required by all Christians to do, there would be some command for us to do it. Uh, our, there is no example of Christians keeping the Sabbath. Sabbath keepers will say, say that, well, Jesus kept the Sabbath, or Jesus was under the law. The law did not, was not abolished until Jesus' death on the cross. The new covenant was not ratified until his blood was shed in order to ratify it. Again, go back to uh, Hebrews chapter 7 and 8 and, and read what, he, what is said there about when this law came into, came into uh, fulfillment. Really. Uh, no, no covenant, no testament is of any effect until the death of the testament. So before his death, Jesus was still under that same covenant that everybody else was, which required keeping of the Sabbath. After his death, after the death of the testator, the law of Christ goes into effect, and the law of Christ has no requirement for us to keep the Sabbath. So some some Sabbath-keepers would then shift their argument to appeal to Paul. So there is a the argument that there are 84 examples of Paul keeping the set. Um, and, of course, this is a stretch. They, they're, they're pulling this, uh, this idea from a single verse in Acts chapter 17, where we see that Paul goes to uh, a, a certain city and he preaches at the synagogue every day for, uh, for about a year and a half, or every, every Sabbath day for about a year and a half. So number one, preaching at the synagogue is not the same thing as keeping the Sabbath. First of all, Sabbath was supposed to be a day of not working, and ask any preacher if preaching is worse than that. So if the, the preacher is preaching, he's working. He's definitely not not working on the Sabbath. And is he keeping the Sabbath? Uh, no. I mean, there's no uh, example or, or indication of him doing the things that somebody who is keeping the Sabbath would do, abstaining from work, um, putting, uh, you know, bringing the required sacrifices, well, you know, all of those things that would would have been involved in keeping the Sabbath, we don't see any evidence of Paul doing it. We see, we see Paul coming to the synagogue on the Sabbath day because he knows that Jews are going to be there, going to be gathered together there, and preaching to them about Christ, trying to tell them about the new thing that is happening, not doing what they are doing in the synagogue. And again, what we see here is that this is something that Paul is doing by himself. So if you, if you go back to Acts chapter 17, you see that there are other people traveling with Paul, including Luke himself. And when they're traveling to the city, you'll see Luke's language say that we traveled to this city and we set up shop here and, and we started this work here. And then... Paul, not we, Paul went to the synagogue every Sabbath day and preached to the Gentiles. Luke didn't go with him. None of the other people in the entourage went with him because that was not something that they were required to do. This was Paul's custom as Luke said. He specifically says as was Paul's custom, as was his custom. It was something Paul did on his own in order to go and reach those people who were still under that old system. 
but it wasn't something that everybody was required to do. It was not something that the other Christians that were traveling with Paul did with him. He did it on his own because he wanted to reach that population. And in order to reach that population, he went to where he knew they would be gathered. So this is not an example of Paul keeping the Sabbath. This is, it would be the same thing as if I, if one of your Seventh-day Adventist ministers came to Waterview on Sunday and asked to give a sermon about the Sabbath, would he be keeping Sunday worship? No, you, you would not consider that person to be keeping Sunday worship. You would be considering that person doing an evangelistic work, trying to convert us into the proper way of doing things. This is exactly what Paul was doing, just in the other direction. He was going to people who were worshiping on the Sabbath and telling them, look, this Sabbath thing doesn't no, no longer apply to you because we have a new covenant now, and you can come be a part of what we're doing. This was not the general practice of the church. This was not somebody worshiping on the Sabbath or keeping the Sabbath. This is Paul trying to reach uh, Jewish people who are still under the old system and bringing them into Christ because he knew that they would be there. And finally, there's no uh, situation in Scripture that causes us to necessarily infer that there was a meeting of Christians that was continuing to happen on the Sabbath. There's, there's nothing in Scripture that even implies that Christians were as on a regular basis or as part of their um, traditional practice, still meeting on the Sabbath day. I mean, there are scriptures that say that they met daily, that they, they met from house to house, that they were always together. Sure, that would imply that something probably happened on, on Saturdays at some, at some point. But any time a specific day is called out in reference to Christians or Christian assemblies, it's always the first day of the week. It is never the Sabbath. So by contrast, we see examples, commands, and inference, and we can make inference based on those examples and commands that worship on Sunday was something that applied to Christians. Again, we have the example in Acts 20 and 7 that that group of Christians was meeting specifically called out on the first day of the week. And then we have the command in First Corinthians, uh, yeah, Corinthians chapter 16 that a collection be taken up on the first day of the week. Why the first day of the week specifically? Why, why would that be um, the, the day that that would, would, would have to happen? And we can infer from that, that example in that command that this was a regular thing that happened, that it was expected of Christians to be together on the first day of the week. That's why it was convenient for this collection to take place on the first day of the week because the Christians would already be together. They would already be there for the purpose, as Acts 20 verse 7 says, the taking of the bread, which is, the again, a reference to the communion, which we understand is something that is necessary uh, to Christian worship. So, as we can see from all of this evidence, the Ten Commandments never apply to Gentiles like me and probably you, uh, unless you're a, a direct genetic descendant of the Jews. Uh, you're a Gentile, and the Ten Commandments never apply to you in the first place. But even if it did, uh, the death of Christ was the turning point that caused a separation from um, the people of God from the old law. And just because we were separated from that old law doesn't mean that we are left without law. We were brought into a new covenant and based on better promises uh, that was now open not just to the Jewish nation but to the entire world, that everybody can have the opportunity to um, be a part of God's people. And because we have gone from one old law to a new law, there is of necessity a change in the way things are done. There's a change in the priesthood. There's a change uh, in the practice 
of those things. And part of, and one of those changes is shift from worship on the Sabbath to the worship on the first day of the week. Every thing that is necessary or important to the understanding of worship as Christians, we see taking place in the scripture on the first day of the week. That's the only time, the only day that's ever specifically called out in reference to Christian worship is the first day of the week. So we've been freed from the law. You no longer have to sacrifice those and goats. You no longer have to uh, be bound by the 613 rules uh, that are recorded in the, in the Torah. Um, and therefore, you are not bound by the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments don't apply to you. It does apply to you with the law of Christ. And that is everything that is recorded that Christ gave to us and, and, and his apostles uh, uh, gave to us in the New Testament. But that is what you should do. Instead of saying, I, I believe in Jesus and I follow the Ten Commandments, you should say, I, I believe in Jesus and I follow the New Testament. That is that is our rule and our practice. Uh, so the lesson is yours. We, we're not bound by the Ten Commandments. We're bound by the law of Christ. And so I hope that you are blessed by this, uh, this lesson and that you have a proper understanding of how to be in in, in right fellowship um, with Christ and his church. So lessons yours and continue to uh, listen and, and, and enjoy the Gospel Light radio show. Him with a burden, just to make 
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Is your congregation in need of lending for a building or expansion project? As your partner and advocate, Diversified Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific need. It's an exciting time for your congregation. And what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. Call us today at 1-866-513-6665 or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Amen. Love, love, yeah. We 
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just thrilled to be able to bring you a weekly broadcast. It's our prayer that the lessons that you heard on this radio show have been beneficial to your spiritual lives. And your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because you're not only tuning in this radio broadcast, but you're giving yourself over to a study of God's Word. I want to thank my co-host, Glenn McMillian. He did an outstanding job on his subject, uh, Christian's. Uh, subject to the Ten Commandments, great lesson, always a much-needed lesson from time to time to hear uh, these teachings on the subject of the Ten Commandments as well. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we were scheduled to have a shouted-out question on the broadcast, but it doesn't look like we're going to be able to do that on the program today, so maybe next time. I'm your host, Stevie R. Butler. I want to say on behalf of all of my co-hosts on the Gospel Light Radio Show, we really do appreciate your love and support for these radio programs. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.